0: Welcome to the Jack and Joe Show. We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Jack and Joe Show with me, Jack Heskin Taylor. Me, Joe McCarthy here again we are with Tej. How are you Tej?
2: I'm all right I love your intro it sounds like an American like uh, quiz show intro. That's so cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just introduced you as Tej as well I, everyone I I just assume everyone knows who you are. <laughs> <laughs> not yet not yet. <laughs> if you don't know um, do, can we just give you your podcast a bit of a mention tedge and, and your website and
2: um, anyone that wants to get in touch. Of course. If you don't listen to my podcast, then please do check it out. It's called Tej Talks. Uh, it is available at tedge talkscom but also every podcast player, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, everything. Type in Tedge Talks or TED Talks property and it will come up.
1: Great, great. Okay, that's great. Really? This episode, I think me and Joe just wanted to dive deep into a bit more of your strategy, the buy refinance, You refinance, know, any struggles, difficulties, the highs and lows. Just try and give anyone listening who's looking to do that strategy as much information as possible, really. I don't know if we can maybe just sort of start off with with one of your buy refurbished refinance deals and go into a bit more detail.
2: Mm, absolutely let's talk about the best one because uh because there's there's enough shit ones that we'll get to so uh i bought this house pre-auction i purchased it for seventy two thousand pounds it was a two bed off a main street on a side street with no direct parking which was a bit irritating especially when it came to getting it rented out and for builders but they just blocked the lane with their van uh (laughs) It's, but also it does have a very nice view and it's very quiet so pros and cons uh it was it was em- I mean it had a it had you know sort of like the walls are wallpapered it was very cold it was like it'd been empty for i think like, i don't know like 20 years or something right. but it wasn't in bad condition the damp wasn't that bad or where well, it wasn't visible at all it had a sort of semi new kitchen in it and bath it was a bit weird uh i think someone bought it tried to do it up and then just left empty for many years which i've I've bought a few of so what if a 72 yeah. pre-auction exchanged in 24 days uh there was a small auction fee of like 750 quid my solicitors cost i think i bridged this one with an with an investor so it cost about a grand for solicitor fees uh and we spent eighteen thousand eight hundred on it so although it's a small house it basically was stripped it was replastered, repainted, new kitchen, new bathroom. It was meant to be a flip. So I probably spent about a grand extra on it that I wouldn't have spent on, on a keeper. And yeah. it had some damp and we had to get scaffolding because the chimney and yeah, had a few issues that we didn't see until it rained heavily, which is something for people who are buying in summer. It's a nice time to buy because things are dry, but I yeah. think it's better to buy in winter when things are wet because you see the real shit and you can negotiate better. Anyways. Uh, bought it for 72, spent 18,800 on it and it got revalued recently. I think about a m- beginning of this month at 125,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, that's top end valuation. My valuation pack didn't even have that number in it in terms of like my comps weren't even that high. <laughs> so right. he went up to two miles. has to be within six months, but went up to two miles. Cause he was like the size of it and the finish of it sort of thing. Like, and the fact that it's in an area where the market is, rising very quickly he put a top end valuation on it and he valued it against houses that were bigger so valuations a bit of a dark art a whole topic in itself but the beauty of this deal for me apart from the fact that the house is it is very nice um, and I'll, I'll send you a video link to uh like to put it in the show notes so people can have a look at the walkthrough of it yeah. was we basically picked up the keys in december and then march the 3rd the remortgage funds came into my account. So, three months, three days from picking up the keys to having remortgage funds back in my account was nice. was the BRR done. Mm-hmm. So, for me, this is a cracking deal because of that. Because I know there's going to be capital appreciation here. Because I, it, it was just it, I, I couldn't believe how quickly it happened. My broker was like, "Dad, um, did you what just happened?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, shit." This was ridiculously, and this was with new builders as well. And they didn't even start until two or three weeks after I got the keys. So it could have been quicker is a typical entrepreneur thing to say. Yeah. Like that is probably, that's my best and most recent end to end uh, BRR deal
3: lovely nice. that was very interesting and yeah, very quick very as well very very quick turnaround how did you go about sourcing that deal was it on the market did you use a sourcer or what so it was
2: in the auction catalogue and i just said right i want Option. it here's my offer and it was that was it as as lovely. easy as that sounds
1: okay so there's no 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 sources or nobody put you onto it or anything like that
2: no nah, i don't like you sources man no i'm kidding um i <laughs> i don't use i don't use sources because i don't need to i'm, I'm heavily doing it myself but it was on the market these people who say, oh if it goes on way then zoopla too late you want to be like knowing about it before bullshit i've got so many brrs that leave in no money or five grand that are on the internet that my mom really? would yeah. find if she wanted to like so yeah I don't, I don't i don't subscribe to that school of thought
1: okay okay do you think that's due to the, your investment area or do you think that is is Probably possible all over the UK. Uh,
2: okay, in Liverpool, yes. In the northeast, Yorkshire, and all them places there, yes. <laughs> Scotland, etc., yes. London. It depends on your strategy. If you're building and you're adding square footage in London and you're doing certain things, and you know, yes, you know these deals yeah. are are available to that extent. But what I say to people is some strategy will work in some area you know so not all strategies work in all areas so i think yes it's my investment area if i was where you guys were or if i was in yorkshire i'd say the same thing so it's not my area specifically but it's certain areas that are have things in common
1: yeah
2: okay okay that's
1: great okay could we go into a bit, a bit more detail maybe about one of your flips as well just to give the listeners ideas on um and give them a bit of a an insight into the figures and, and what it costs
2: yeah so this is my uh my worst fucking flip because <laughs> um we had terrible builders on it they took ages they didn't do things correctly they just uh, bodged some stuff and i mean I, I didn't pay them for some like some of the work so cool i'm, I'm sort of quids in but I've had interest payments to my investor who's funded this 110%, literally 110% LTV. Uh, I've had it sitting there empty for so long, you know, that it's cost me and it therefore has reduced my profit. However, I always leave in about six months of interest on my spread, seven months of interest in this case on my spreadsheet. So, you know, we're okay, but I bought this one. The conveyancing on this one took ages. So the offer was accepted 19th of October it legally completed on the 1st of November. Nope, wrong wrong one. Offer accepted 5th of September, and it legally completed on the 4th of November. You're probably thinking, that's standard 60 days, but that pissed me off. Like That was my almost my longest conveyance. My yeah. average time in conveyancing is 34 days. Uh, so it, it definitely annoyed me. Um, then the refurb started on the 6th of November, and the refurb finished, well, it's still ain't bloody finished. Oh, so, what? <laughs> yeah. And and when I say, you know, it's, it's an 18 grand refurb. I just told you I did a BRR in three days, three months. These shitty builders couldn't even, like, and honestly, the work needed, fine, tape and joint in the whole house, new kitchen, new bath, you know, just standard, right? Everything. Yeah. Rewire, blah, blah, blah. This stuff takes two months max. You know, it's a big house, don't get me wrong, but it's not that big. So, it's still now. I've got a new build team on who's still had some problems with it, but they're a lot better and they're working through it. It should be finished because I said to them, Look, you need to prioritize this shit. It should be finished pending coronavirus within two weeks. Yeah. So, and because the last team left the walls in such a crap state, and then it, they basically left it in a place where it's like, we have to go back on some work. Yeah. Um, now, I'll go through the, th- I mean, this house is. It's annoying it's taken so long because honestly, it makes me smile. It's such a gorgeous house. Not, not my design necessarily, which it will be, but the actual house, <laughs> high ceilings, big doors, like it's just a really, and it's got some history. It's just a really nice house. Like all the, every builder who's been in there has been like, oh, what a shame. It's such a, you, know, you just walk in there and get, you get a good feeling about it. Right. Yeah. So I bought it for the 74,500. Now it was on the market for uh, 85 overpriced. Well, overpriced for us investors anyway someone secured it at 79 <laughs> someone i know funnily enough they then pulled out i was going to view it but then the agent who knows me and now we're like kind of friends and we chat and he takes a piss out me and stuff uh said sorry ted you can't view it like we've had offer accepted on the morning of the viewing i was like fine whatever it's cool next thing you know a week later ted they 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 pulled out it's back on the market. I'm, I'm coming to you first before I put it back on. What do, you, what do you want? Knowing that I'd already bought one through him, by the way, so that the relationship was already kind of made yeah. or he trusted me. Yeah. I said, oh, well, gays 70K. Anyways, back and forth, back and forth, 74 and a half. So five grand off just because I sort of had a relationship and I followed up, all the agent followed up. Yeah. Uh, Stamp duty, two grand. sister fee, 600 because a cash purchase with an investor who funded all of it. 18 grand I've got in for renovation costs. I've actually got a little bit more for contingency. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Accounts, tax, blah, blah, blah. It should sell for 100... I think it should sell for 125 grand because of how gorgeous it's going to be and how big it is and the location.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, But I've had one valued, Rick's valued, about 250 meters away because I invest in this little town heavily. I'm trying to. At 115 grand. So... I'm confident that when a reval comes in about that, which was great for that BRR, a sale is going to be a bit higher because a sale is a bit more dependent on the emotional factors. So I'm, I'm going off the, in my spreadsheet, it's 120. I'm confident of that. But I think someone's going to walk in and just look at the ceilings, look at the kitchen and just be like, damn, you know, like, yeah. it, cause it is a cut above the rest. And that's not me being like hockey. It's me you know, factually looking at other houses and just saying, this is a cut above the rest. Like, you know what I mean? And I, again, I'll, I'll send some pictures and videos that you know people can have a look at. This should make a flip profit before fees and before tax, including interest payments and including contingency of 17,000 pounds. If all goes to plan and we get it done quicker, it, it'll make a, a little bit more than that. Yeah. Now, originally this should have made like 20 grand because, you know, the refurb went up because we discovered the drainage is like, is collapsed and if we leave it basically the 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 wash away and the foundations will get damaged by water and the next person will basically have subsidence so we're like well we can't really leave it like this and the toilet doesn't flush so it's like well yeah we need to flush when toilets when builders are around so yeah bit of a long answer there but i hope that goes into detail of like the absolute pain in the ass that is i've got a flip paying interest every month with no rent and they won't have any rent because it's a flip that's coming off my profit I'm paying it monthly, and just in this case, and but it's it's quite a nice, you know, 17 grand that will pay off three investors who have left in five grand in my deal. So you can see the beauty of it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Works well, works well, definitely. Uh, have you got any advice? So let's say like somebody like me or Joe or, or somebody else in the property industry that's just starting out. Maybe they've they've done one or two buy to lets they may be looking at getting into the buy refurbish finance model or flips. Is there any challenges that they might face just starting out?
2: When they're doing flips or when they're doing property in general?
1: Um, mostly I was going to say about buy refurbish finance. I feel like that's quite a popular strategy. Um, and I just feel like there's, there's people aren't aware of the financial challenges and, and what you have to do to get bridging and stuff like that. I feel like maybe shed some
2: light on that. Yeah, there's a lot of light to be shed um, because I've learned so much, little, little things. So firstly, if you're buying below 100K purchase price, your lenders are limited. If you're buying below 50K, your lenders are limited. If you're buying at like 25K that we were talking about off air, your lenders are very limited and your price goes up, which you'd think maybe doesn't make sense, but because it's so small, they need to make more money. Uh, Bridging finance is not, overly difficult to get they have a first charge as long as the deal sort of stacks, you know, generally most are sort of happy to lend on it. And as long as the title is clean. So bridging is not too difficult. I mean, the first time you bridge, it's going to be painful. Just, just get ready just brace yourself. They're going to ask every single detail, every single bit of paperwork they're going to forget. And they're going to ask you on the day of completion, Bob, it's going to be painful. But after that, when you have a relationship, I'm at the point where I just send an address by email. I don't even write an email. I just put it in the subject heading. Here's an address. They're like, yeah, cool. We'll fund it. Here's the, you know, here's the breakdown of the, the quote, of the interest. How do you want it paid? Let me know when you want to instruct solicitors. That's it. So that's how easy I can access seventy five percent of money, and anyone can do this. But of course, yeah. you need that relationship, and you need it to go wrong first because it, yeah. it they will piss you off. Uh, I think when it comes to mortgages, it's a different story. You know, you, at first you're like, yeah, cool, mortgages, but it depends on your salary as well. For some reason they don't just go off like the income of the rental they stress test that but they also want a salary. Some want a minimum of 25 grand. Some just want a salary. So if you're self-employed like me and you give yourself 11 grand a year, you know, from like my recruitment business, because you know, you don't want to go past the tax um, limit, etc. cetera. There's, a few, there's quite a few lenders who were like, nah, sorry. I'm like, well, I'm never going to pay myself 25 K at least not now. You know, what, what am yeah. I supposed to do? And there's some lenders who are just like, you need a salary, which is, which is cool. So you limit yourself. Are you a homeowner? No. Okay. You limit yourself even more. Uh, are you buying HMOs? You limit yourself even more. How many houses do you have? You limit yourself even more, but then you get past four or five houses. Then you're a portfolio landlord. Then you limit yourself even more in the sense that they're <laughs> going to stress test you more. And they're going to, so you know what, there's like endless problems with finance that you don't realize until someone tells you who's been through it. Like, Hey, by the way, you're, You've just gone from zero to five properties in like three months. Do You realize you're now a portfolio landlord. Just check with your broker. And I did, and it's, it's cool, but it, it may not be cool, right? Depending on my situation, depending on what I'm buying. So on the finance side, having the right broker, having the right bridges, I go to Bridges Direct because for buy to let's, it's not that complex. I don't really want to pay a broker a grand to do what I can do for free. Sorry, brokers, but... You can come at me if you like, but I just think bridging is not difficult. If if you've got a big development deal, if you've got something complex, lease whole it, fine. Absolutely fine. But single buy selects, but only 40, 50 grand, I just don't think it's worth it. Uh, so that's difficulty in financing. I think what you'll learn is that there are many bad builders, many bad brokers, many bad solicitors, and referrals don't always equal success. But a lot of the time, referrals and your own due diligence will equal success. Yeah. People are going to make and break your business. You know, a bad builder will break you, but a great builder will make you. So yeah. network from day one, I don't care if you've got zero properties or a hundred, go in network. Like you could have no money that go in network, like whether it's digital or physical, whatever, you need to do things to increase the people around you who are in certain circles spend time with people doing what you want to be doing and like call people, you know, like yesterday I called two people who've lived through recessions who have very, very big portfolios. And I was like, right, give me the crack. What we you thinking? What's, you know, here's my situation. What you reckon? And you know, I had a chat with them and it was as easy as that. And that sounds like, Oh, anyone can do that. And they can, but it's important. You build those relationships that you can just be like, yo, listen, I'm calling you. Let's just talk. Let's just talk about this stuff. Not like, Hey, how you doing? How's your mum? You know, just, you know, it's a different, it's a different relationship, right? When you can just call and just talk about stuff and just text and about stuff. So people like in your network will make you money and save you money and save you bad deals and get you tons of free stuff and get you money off. And having a network is so, so important. So for me, that's one of the biggest things because everything I can tell you now on this podcast, someone else can tell you in your network. So focus on building that network. I promise you people before profits is the most important thing. I can say today.
3: Nice. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds sounds very good. Um, In terms of raising private finance, how did you approach that?
2: through, Through social media, through my brand. I think I didn't set up a brand to raise finance. I just wanted to help people get educated, you know, through TED Talks. But then people approached me. People saw my deals. They wanted a slice of the action. They wanted to invest. So as much as I'm, you know, I still actively approach people, I still actively, I'm looking for investors always, always, always. A lot of the time it comes from my brand, whether it's, they found me or whether it's, you know, they connected and then I messaged them and then we got talking and then they invested or whether it's cause they're like, Oh wow, I can see from your brand, you're doing XYZ, I can trust you X, Y, Z, you know, let's talk about investing. You know, I've had people invest who had never met me, had one eight minute phone call, uh, and that was it 57 grand in my account. I met them two months later, and that was it. And they're not like, and they're millennials like me, so they're obviously very cautious. They're obviously very aware of like the world. Yeah. Okay, maybe not as much as you know, people have lived through lots of stuff, but you just wouldn't expect it. But my brand does five or six or seven of the touch points. But more importantly, it shows people: look, I am who I am. All my mistakes, all my issues are on there. I mean, one of my flips is, is struggling to sell at the moment. I mean, now it's struggling to sell because of Corona. But before that, it was struggling to sell at the price point. I thought it would. And I put a post up about it and said, look, like, pfft, it's not selling right now at this price, you know, like, and my investors are seeing this, are currently invested and future investors because people need to know. And that will put people off. People will say, oh, your flips aren't selling instantly like everyone else on Facebook. Oh, no, nah, dead. I'm not investing in you. But others who I want to invest in me will say, Ted, I appreciate that you know, because yeah. Yeah. you're looking after my investment, you're taking it seriously. So I think the trust, the openness and the reality that comes from my podcast and my brand is really what kind of gets investors in and also kind of secures the, the deal as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we, we've we even noticed that looking at your stuff and listen to the podcast as well. I think, when did you first start listening to, to Ted's show?
3: Oh, I was back in Ireland. This is going back a while now, well over a year ago, I'd say. Um, yeah, I was listening to your podcast, Tedge back, when, way before I even moved over to the UK to start in property. So, just goes to show like how far of a reach it does have. Um, but yeah, like I mean, it's about that kind of no like and trust. Um, mm. and yeah, definitely with the personal, with the personal branding in the podcast, like you definitely kind of nailed at that big time. Um,
2: I appreciate it, man.
3: Yeah, hundred yeah, percent, Um. So what's your plans going forward then? Are you looking to to scale up just the single lets? or Are you looking at any other strategies in the, in the long-term? What's, what's gonna, the long-term so, strategy?
2: Yeah, the strategy was to get three properties a month for the next six months from January. I've done, I think, two in Feb, I think two in March. Uh, yeah, it's not going to plan. And now with coronavirus, it's definitely not going to... I'm not buying now until we're sort of... Until opportunities arise or until we're through this sort of icky period. And then the aim was basically to get to about 10 grand a month, passive income from buy to let and then consider doing stuff closer to home. I may be moving out of like the area I live in. So I'm not even, you know, I'm waiting to see where I go. Uh, but when I say closer to home, basically means more expensive stuff. It means like, you know, not buying houses for 200, 300 grand and flipping them or, or building from land or planning gain or like lease extensions. or you know, like paperwork exercises, I get bored easily. So I know in like six months, eight months, I'm going to be like, cool, what's next? hmos why don't i do them same income as four by to in one house you also have four humans touching and taking each other's milk and taking each other's cheese and <laughs> blocking up the toilets and just being morons sometimes so yes hmos are great and yes you could they can be you know sort of passive but i'm yet to interview a guest on my show when i say to them how passive is hmos not one has said yeah totally they're always like um, yeah, it is passive. Um, and for me alone, that, that says a lot, you know, I speak to a buy-to-let investor. They're like, I don't even know how many houses I have. I can't even remember the last time I spoke to a tenant. I mean, it's just, yeah. And that's most buy-to-let investors. So no HMOs for me. I will do blocks of flats though, because they're like HMOs, but the humans are separated different ASTs. You can do cool things with the leasehold and freehold. And that would be like an awesome conversion. Like I love the refurb process, love design. So designing lots of little flats, epic. I'm just, I just need to find the right size place for it and where it works. Where I invest, the end values on flats are low. So that may not be possible until I do some stuff closer to home because I have to still pull out some money or maybe a JV with some, I don't really JV, but it may be a JV where we do a block of flats, a big block of flats together. I don't know. I have one SA unit that's obviously tanked during this coronavirus period. Although we've yeah. just had an inquiry for a month. I'm still waiting to find out what, what that is because it's it's managed I don't do any any work with that will I have another essay uh, you know probably not I like my boring vanilla stuff like it was great to interior design it and it's nice to have the potential to receive three times as much as a buy to let but it just doesn't excite me man what excites me is like passivity what excites me is getting the rent every month and not having to lift a finger you know <laughs> like yeah. that's what really <laughs> excites me as as boring as it sounds so yeah scaling is going to continue once we're through this icky period uh and until about 10 grand a month of which strategy will change and then we'll see from there i mean at some point i'll start bridging my money out you know loaning it out and then eventually i'll I'll start up other businesses and and sort of move out of property but that's that's a that's sort of a while off
1: yeah yeah okay yeah. so do you think obviously once you build that single that portfolio Sorry, you just said. Then you might start other businesses. Once you've built up a, you know, a, a substantial rent roll, will you then stop doing your buy to refinance and Maybe look at more stuff that you you might be more interested in at the time. Is do you think it might be a
2: time frame on property for you? Mm, I think like I don't, I don't know. I'm keeping it fluid. I'm keeping it like right here are my goals up to this point, and then at that point. You know, what are we doing? How are we going to go about it? What's the decision from there? So, yeah, I mean, BR is still a good model. I think, you know, I, I think it's still a good model. I may just switch to doing it on bigger things. Yeah. And then just with reference
1: to the, the buyer refurbished refinance, is there any sort of tips you could give people um, on stuff that you missed out, on stuff that you massively underpriced or, or wasn't aware about at the start? Any major things that, that pop to mind?
2: Oh, yes. So I've had a crappy project manager slash builder not notice or not price up correctly, re-rendering the whole of the rear house and not pricing up that. It needs a new roof. So that's eight and a half grand extra on top, which blows the deal, which means I'm now flipping that property, which will still make 10 grand profit. Not as much as I want to, but I can't keep it because it leaves too much money in. So Yeah. yeah, I've had things like that. I think... I mean, there's little things I've like maybe, maybe I've missed out new doors throughout the house, you know, and that cost eight hundred quid or something. And I was like, okay, fine, that's yeah. doable. Sometimes there's been damp that's appeared after sort of purchase and after a bit of the refurb, and it's like, well, there we go. Sometimes you rip off an extension roof and you're like, oop, all the joists are gone, couple hundred yeah. extra quid. I think, I think the rendering the roof is probably the biggest thing that I've like, or the the, the project manager who's responsible for it underpriced or didn't price. otherwise i'm 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 usually fairly accurate with my refurbs because i love them and because i focus so much on these costs i can walk into a house view it and in my head i'm like yeah it'll cost by this much i'll go home i'll you know break it down and i'll be like yep that's how much it costs i can do it very quickly because i've done and i'm doing you know 15 refurbs doesn't sound like a lot but when you like are close with your builders and you ask them questions and you're always going back and forth and making notes of what they're saying and getting quotes from other people You just learn so much. And when you enjoy it, you become good at just walking in and saying, ah, that's that. I know it'll cost this much to fix. Most people think it'll cost this much, but actually it's this because of this blah, blah, blah. but it's taken eight months of, you know, 250 viewings or whatever, and all these properties to then be able to be like, yep, this is how much a refurb costs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Have you got any more questions, Joe?
3: Um, not that experience of mine, no. Um, where can people reach out to get in contact with you and, and all the rest?
2: Sure. So if people want to get in touch with me directly, the best thing is probably to send me a direct message on Instagram, tej.talks. Otherwise, I'm on LinkedIn, Tej Singh. I'm on Facebook, Tej Singh, or the Tej Talks Podcast. Uh, if you want to email me, it's hello at com. Check out my website, it's talkscom and tejinvests.com.
3: Brilliant, excellent. Well, thanks very much, Ted. It's uh, it an absolute pre- pleasure to have you on now today. And uh, Jack, I think that's it. Any more questions?
1: Yeah, no. That, that's been really, really good, Ted. Hopefully, um, as we all progress through our property journey, hopefully we can we can have you back on again. Um yeah, see, to, see how things are going.
2: I love it, lads. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Talent. That's excellent been great,
1: place, t- Ted. Thanks very much.
3: See you.
0: We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack heskin Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness.
1: Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of
2: course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from